Before we start today's show, I could really use your help with something. As you know, Master Brewers is an association run by some of the hardest working folks in the brewing industry. They all have jobs, but also serve the association as volunteers in lots of different ways. I need your help filling a volunteer role that, in my opinion, is one of the simplest but most important jobs. It's super easy, doesn't take much time at all, but is critical to the value of membership and to this podcast. If you're willing to help me out and give back to this incredible association, please take a minute to go to masterbrewerspodcast.com slash working group to learn more. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. And thanks also to Brew Ninja, a brewery software solution that streamlines your day-to-day operations, including inventory, accounting, sales, and compliance, so that you can focus on making great beer. Listeners of this podcast will receive a unique offer by going to GetBrewNinja.com and using the code BrewNinja21. What you're about to hear originally aired in September of 2018. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode that you won't want to miss. of the inspiration for getting these numbers was to try and know what we're getting so that we can attempt to achieve some sort of brand consistency amongst our different brew houses. And after kind of crunching the numbers and realizing that we may actually be aerating a lot more than I think we are. This week on the show, how much dissolved oxygen is in your work? Today's guest set out to answer that question without breaking the bank. My name is Derek Dawson. Uh, I work at Modern Times Beer here in San Diego, California. Tell us how you aerated wort at Modern Times prior to this project. Yeah, so prior to this project, um, I don't want to say it was it was kind of a guessing game, but it, you know we had our um, our oxygen uh, flow meter set up there. It was kind of a, a large scale when I think it went from zero to fifteen liters per minute, zero to zero to twenty something uh, in those in that range, and it was set up. Uh, not arbitrarily, it, it worked for us, um, but there was not no necessarily any not necessarily any data that went with it, or we didn't necessarily know exactly what numbers we were hitting. We we could guess at that um, to try and see what was going on, uh, but physically, uh, it was um, the same setup as we had now. Um, we've you know 
made some tweaks and adjustments based on data that we've collected since then. But it, uh, prior to doing any of this work, uh, it was simply, you know, coming out of the heat exchanger, uh, going through a, a four-inch sintered stone uh, that was hooked up to our oxygen tank through about 80 feet of soft uh, one-and-a-half-inch line uh, into the bottom of the fermenter. So physically the same as now, um, but uh, it was using a different flow meter on the oxygen side than, than what we've implemented since then. Did you have a sense of whether you were under or overdoing it with that method? Um, I kind of was leaning towards it. We had been coming across a little bit of some flavor stability issues with some of our beers. Um, and after kind of knocking our heads against the wall and trying some different things, um, we thought it might be uh, an over-aeration thing going on, um, which is what kind of led to me looking into this and obtaining um, a parts per million DO meter that we could use to kind of track track this data and get that info. So. Yeah, there was, it was, it was some curiosity. I think we were always curious exactly what was happening since we were kind of just guessing at it. But at the same time, I think the, the kind of wonky uh, flavor stability was what kind of drove us to, to actually start tracking some numbers on this. Had you been tracking peak cell counts or fermentation times or any other metrics that sort of supported that inclination? Um, yeah, we've been, you know, viability of every tank uh in the cone afterwards as we're cropping um apparent degree of fermentation uh force fermentations we're doing on every tank as we go so these were some of the data points that we were getting along with sensory evaluations along the way you know obviously we're tasting every tank um throughout the process mid-firm post-firm pre-dry hop post-dry hop all those kinds of things so kind of lining those up with uh with our other numbers were, were the main tests that we were running there Okay, so you wanted to get to the bottom of this and get some real data. Talk about your setup for this project. Where and how did you measure wort DO? Sure. So that setup that I kind of described earlier um, for what the what the knockout line looked like coming out of the heat exchanger. Um, that essentially the first time around I tried this, I, I should mention um, initially I thought the do meter was broken when we got it uh i set it up uh, at the at the bottom of the fermenter put a t on there put a zwickle on there um and that was kind of my sample station where i would be taking readings um and initially with that old uh oxygen flow meter that went up to 15 20 liters per minute uh, it had not a great resolution on it right as soon as i could get that little ball to move and see the flow actually kind of get going through that we were maybe up in the uh, you know a couple of liters per minute just because the resolution wasn't that great, uh, and my uh, my oxygen uh, dissolved oxygen meter actually maxes out at twenty ppm, so twenty milligrams per liter. If anything above that, it's not going to read. Um, and when I had initially set this up the first time around, I was not able to actually even get any readings below that that were able to register on on. Uh, on the Hannah meter. So, uh, I was like, what's going on here? Is this thing busted? Um, and after kind of crunching the numbers and realizing that it, we may actually be aerating a lot more than I think we are, uh, I got a hold of a one that went from about zero to three liters per minute. So that allowed me to adjust the resolution down into about an eighth of a liter per minute, a quarter of a liter per minute, a half of a liter per minute. 
Yeah, I, I've seen some. Um, there's there's some interesting. You can get some pediatric uh, oxygen meters, you know, for the medical industry that give you sort of more precise control at those low flow rates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, and that was necessary for us to to kind of look into that and read that. And I've I've actually since had a couple of people come up to me and tell me they've experienced the same thing where they thought they were you know getting a certain amount in there and they actually had to go significantly lower than what they thought in order to in order to read that. So uh, that was finally allowed me to you know dial in the actual process for this would be um, setting the flow rate on our. Um, on our oxygen flow meter to say an eighth of a liter per minute. And then I would, you know, wait to make sure that, uh, that wort had time to hit the bottom of the fermenter. Uh, I would then take a reading, uh, wait for my reading to stabilize down there with my dissolved oxygen meter, go adjust the, uh, go back, you know, record my reading, go back, adjust my oxygen flow meter to uh, a quarter, a half, kind of keep going up from there and continue to take readings at the tank bottom until I had enough data and eventually uh, it would get off the chart and beyond what my what my meter could read but it allowed me to kind of correlate uh, those dissolved oxygen numbers at the bottom of the tank with actual flow rates so that I could kind of line that up with uh, you know the, the knockout rate of the, the rate of the flow of the wort as it left the brew house as well. I, I assume you didn't already, I think you said earlier that you didn't already have instrumentation capable of measuring dissolved oxygen in the target range. How did you decide which meter to get? Um, that was not a, not a ton of thought went into that other than um, something that we could afford at the time. So uh, this one, I think, was, you know, a few hundred bucks, maybe four or five hundred, something like that. Um, and I think, you know, we were under the assumption literature kind of talks about eight to 10 PPM in a tank, maybe for loggers, or sometimes you see a little higher than that. Sometimes you see 14, 16 uh, PPM for kind of target ranges. So I think because everything had been working out for us up until this point, we thought we were within that range. And so we purchased a, a meter that what that fell within that range to let us know that we were in fact hitting that or maybe going under, but um, didn't really have any idea that it was going to exceed that or kind of uh, be a lot bigger than that. So if yeah, if, if I were to do this over, I would probably grab a meter uh, that that can read obviously higher than that, and I have to look into what models do that. But uh, I think that would be that would be beneficial if, if I were to kind of start over. Very good. So, uh, do you have any tips for getting um, accurate measurements with that setup you described? For example, I know um, I did this uh, something very similar to this uh, years ago, and um, I believe we had just uh, this wickle at the T at the tank at the bottom. We had that just kind of constantly flowing very slowly into a beaker, and then the the, me- the probe or the meter was submerged into there. We ended up putting like a, a set of pigtails on this wickle to kind of calm the flow down uh, as it was. Coming Coming out of there, do you have any other you know tips like that for really getting a good reading with that process? Uh, you know what you just described is kind of precisely what I did as well. So that um, had a, having that zwickle on the end uh, flowing into a beaker, um, and with these types of uh, probes, uh, they require a, a constant stream, as you know, of work to be flowing over them in order to properly read. So having uh, just this wickle constantly open, not blasting it out or anything, but also not dripping out, getting a nice steady flow. Um, and then this, in the same fashion of you using that pigtail to make sure there's no agitation from the atmosphere um, 
you know, I, I'm having the beaker, uh, the tip of this wick will be uh, under the level of the surface of the liquid of the wort as it's overflowing out of the beaker so that it's not necessarily introducing any environmental oxygen into the picture and kind of pulling it in there. But exactly kind of what you just uh, described is how, how I was running it. Coming up, we were kind of treating all all of our yeast strains equally in terms of how they uptake oxygen and what their preference is, um, and this allowed us to kind of split that out and better understand how each of those utilize oxygen and, and what that looks like. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. This episode is sponsored by BSG Craft Brewing. Explore a whole universe of hop sensory with unique varieties like Cashmere, Comet, Triumph, Eldorado, and many more. Sourced directly from growers and processed at BSG's FSSC certified facility in Yakima to bring you only the very best hops from farmer to fermenter. For contracting, spot sales, and more info, reach out to us at letstalkhops at bsgcraft.com. Are you looking to improve yield, quality, and sustainability in your cellar? Alpha Laval has over 60 years of brewing experience, offering centrifuges, dealkalization systems, yeast plants, and complete cold block cellar projects. Designed for the most gentle and efficient treatment of your beer, cider, hard seltzer, or other beverages. Let the leaders in brewing innovation help you meet your greatest production and sustainability goals. Visit alphalaval.us MBAA to learn more. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. The Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins July 22nd. District Mid-Atlantic meets in Richmond, Virginia, July 23rd. District Midwest meets in Columbus, Ohio, July 30th. The 2022 Brewing Summit, that's the combined meeting with Master Brewers and ASBC, is August 14th through the 16th in Rhode Island. The 2022 Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course starts September 9th. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. I need your help filling a volunteer role that, in my opinion, is one of the simplest but most important jobs. It's super easy, doesn't take much time at all, 
but is critical to the value of membership and to this podcast. If you're willing to help me out and give back to this incredible association, please take a minute to go to masterbrewerspodcast.com slash working group to learn more. Now back to the show. Walk us through some theoretical numbers before we talk about what you actually observed. Sure. Um, I had always been curious, um, even kind of before running this experiment, um, at what the solubility of oxygen is at, at this point in this gas-deprived wort as it's leaving the heat exchanger. Um, I mean, we know, you know, you, you can crunch the numbers and figure out that in one liter of oxygen, one liter of O2, there's a little more than 1.4 grams of oxygen uh, present in that in that volume. So if you know you injected a certain amount of liters of oxygen through your knockout, then uh, you know exactly how much O2 kind of went in there. And I've always been curious, you know, if we can put a number behind the solubility there, um, it would make it pretty easy to then go through and say, you know, whether that's 80%, 100%, is, if it's linear even, if it's not, uh, you know, you could write up an equation that would allow you to take the, you know, rate of flow of wort as it leaves your brew house uh, alongside the rate of flow of oxygen and kind of just say, all right, this much of it is dissolved in there and, and allow some brewers that don't have this kind of instrumentation to have a much better estimation of, of what their DO levels are in the tank. So the theoretical numbers would be, uh, I mean, for our brew house, we knock out at around 19 and a half gallons per minute. That's just the average kind of knockout rate with our system. Um, so uh, I kind of, you know, made a chart of this is what I would expect to see at 100% solubility. If if 100% of uh our, our oxygen was dissolved into solution at one liter per minute on our brew house at that knockout rate, we should see about 18 to 20 uh, ppm. That's interesting. So what you, would you actually get? And, and was it a surprise to you? It was actually pretty surprising. I was not expecting to see numbers that correlated so closely and so linearly, uh, let alone it being right up there near 100% solubility in in the wort. Um, it actually tracked extremely closely um, in that number that I just mentioned for one liter per minute. What we actually read, what I had at the tank bottom was 18.1 ppm when we expected, uh, when I would have expected about 19 uh, ppm at 100% solubility. Um, so those numbers tracked in a very linear fashion. Um, and I kind of charted it out to see, you know, this is what we expect to see. This is what actually came through. Um, but I, I, for all intents and purposes of, you know, having brewers estimate this, uh, recommend a hundred percent solubility and not even adding a cofactor in for anything less than that. We saw plus or minus around 10% um, tracking with the numbers that I would have expected to see if 100% of it went into solution. Uh, sampling error, I'm sure, you know, those those numbers on the meters are kind of moving a little bit, going up and down as, as you're uh, taking the sample. So uh, it was all with well within the range of kind of me being okay, at least on, on our production operation saying, yeah, let's go ahead and account for 100% of it being dissolved in. And then 
let's go ahead and adjust that based on our, our flow rate of our knockout and, and say good to go with it. What flow rates did you start off at before this project? Like how much did you come down? In terms of what we did for our, our production beers before versus after. Right, right. Uh, yeah, before it's, it's interesting. We, so I mentioned those kind of flavor stability issues that we were playing with. Um, we initially backed off significantly on, I want to say we were up on our brew house, uh, around four liters per minute, three, four liters per minute. And we actually backed it down to, um, around one, uh, maybe in between one to two for higher gravity stuff. Um, and that initially helped our, um, our off flavor that we were, that we were getting. And so we thought, okay, great. This is fantastic. You know, over aeration seemed to be the issue, but, um, we kind of ran into the problem there of, um, not fully attenuating on one of our specific yeast strains. I, I didn't realize how, you know, sp- strain specific, uh, this aeration really was in terms of, of fermentation. Uh, but our Chico, our, Saison and our Augustiner, they reacted fine. They were okay with it, um, with the lower oxygen levels, both in terms of flavor and attenuation. Uh, but our London three strain that we use just did not want to finish. We saw, you know, about a 10% drop in an apparent degree of fermentation on there. Um, and so we actually ended up bumping that back up. Um, but instead of, uh, bumping it up and having it kind of continue through um, all the knockouts like we usually do. Um, <clears throat> we stopped aerating sooner. It takes us about six to eight turns to fill our tanks, six to eight turns to the brew house. And we were aerating maybe half of those uh, turns, depending on how the split lined up. Um, so we kind of came to a compromise where uh, we're still right now currently aerating about two to three liters per minute. So a little bit less than we were before, higher than we were when we made that adjustment. Uh, but in order, uh, we've kind of learned that we're able to eliminate that kind of flavor issue by just aerating, uh, not into those later turns as late as we were. Very good. Did you observe any other benefits of, uh, of sort of, you know, decreasing the overall flow rate and amount of oxygen getting pumped in? For example, uh, I'm wondering if you had, if you noticed perhaps better beer foam stability at the lower flow rates with, you know, not using up as many foam positive proteins, that sort of thing. That would be a great uh, test to run. I, I did not necessarily take a good look at that to be able to give you some evidence that that was the case either way. We didn't uh, have any necessarily f- difference in you know foam. We we do use we do track uh, as best we can uh, every finished beer in terms of appearance as well. So um, you know lacing foam quantity uh, quality that kind of thing uh, on our finished beers. But uh, there's nothing that that we did. Uh, kind of scientifically to to look at those particular batches before versus after but we taste all our beers and i i haven't none of us have really here at the brewery noticed anything that has improved that so to speak i should say let's talk about some of the variables that are going to have an impact on this process how about the length of your hose between your heat exchanger and your fermenter is that always the same and if not have you observed different results with at various hose lengths Sure. Uh, that's a great question. That is always the same um, for us. We kind of just drag around the same, you know, measure out an, a knockout line that's long enough for our farthest away fermenter and then just drag that closer for the fermenters that are closer to our brew house. So uh, that doesn't change. That variable doesn't change. 
but that's always been a curiosity to me. And what I'd like to do is kind of take these numbers uh, and validate it against uh, our Portland brew house, so maybe our Los Angeles brew house. That was kind of part of the inspiration for getting these numbers was to try and know what we're getting so that we can attempt to achieve some sort of brand consistency amongst our different brew houses. Um, so having the numbers from our our yeah, our uh, main production facility down here in San Diego, I'd like to take that up there using obviously different setup, uh, different uh, knockout uh, line length and see if those numbers correlate or not. I've heard kind of estimates on both sides. I've heard people say, you know, the, the longer the line, the more time the O2 has to tumble around in there and dissolve in a solution. Um, and I've, I've heard kind of the opposite, like, uh, the shorter the line, the quicker it's just able to, or the, I guess the less time it has to break out a solution sort of, th- sort of thing. So I don't have a definitive answer on that, but I would definitely like to try it with different line lengths. Yeah, I can't remember if it's more or less, but I can tell you it's definitely different. And so I think what you're doing is is the best practice to make sure that you are always using sort of the longest line, even if you're going a short distance. I think that's going to give you a much more consistent result. How about back pressure? Do you ever have back pressure on your fermenters during filling, or are these all, you know, blowing off? as they're going uh they're all blowing off yeah they're all blown off as they're going and uh, obviously the only addition of back pressure is is going to be that uh hydrostatic pressure as the tanks get fuller and fuller um but we're our knockout rate of our work uh, you know we're boosting our pump speed on the brew house to uh make up for that so that we're always knocking out around the same speed any variation in temperature is going to have an effect. Uh, what did you observe there uh, as you were doing your trials? Did you have much fluctuate, fluctuation in the work temperature? Were you able to see that make a big difference? That's a, that is another. That along with uh, work gravity are the two that I would like to run some more numbers on to get. This This one was knocked out at 66 Fahrenheit, um, the, the kind of one that I ran this big trial on and to gather all these numbers. And that most... Uh, you know, 95% of our beers are all knocked out 66, 68 Fahrenheit. Uh, we do uh, a lager that we, that we knock out colder. And we used to do a Saison um, that, we, that we knocked out warmer, but we, we don't anymore. So it's just that one lager that gets knocked out cooler. But for us, it's going to pretty much always be in that 66 to 68 range. Um, but I think that would be, you know, clearly that's got to have a difference, right? There, that has to make a difference on what we see in terms of solubility and i would have to think that work gravity as well this one this trial that i ran um was 19 plato work so fairly high um which is another reason that i was kind of surprised that that much stayed in solution i i don't i don't know why but my kind of my hypothesis would have been that the higher gravities would have been tougher to uh, dissolve um as easily that much oxygen into it and and maybe that is the case and i just need to run more trials to see but it would be nice to do it on maybe you know an 11 12 play-doh wort and then maybe again on a super super high like a 28 play-doh wort and kind of see how that falls on both sides of it yeah definitely another thing to think about too is just the stone itself um it's possible that sometimes you can get fouling on the stone uh you know if it's say if there's several brews have gone in before it's been cleaned and um sometimes you can get different results at the same with the same settings there so that's definitely something to keep an eye on and mm-hmm. then also um as you experienced i think just having the right equipment so you know like you said if it's if your meter 
doesn't really give you the ability to to really dial it dial it in um you can see some pretty massive variability so i think that you know it, it's worth the investment uh you can get these um there's different types of flow meters like the one you described with the the ball that floats i've seen a lot of those those used to be sort of ubiquitous within the industry and those are really hard to dial in um mm-hmm. whereas um the, the one you have now is that more of like a where the wheel just kind of clicks and it locks on the setting or how does that work no, it's actually still the same style. It just a, it's a different uh, manufacturer, but it's just a lower resolution. But it is still the same floating ball style. Yeah. So you know that's that's another thing to think about too is just getting the the, the meters that can kind of dial it in more precisely. So great. Any other process changes uh, that were a result from this work? Um, I think it was a really good learning experience for us at the brewery to kind of. You know, we were just throwing darts uh, at a kind of big target, and this helped us kind of narrow that target down to what we think we're aiming for, what we're actually aiming for, what our various strains like. Uh, we were kind of treating all all of our yeast strains equally in terms of how they uptake oxygen and what their preference is, um, and this allowed us to kind of split that out and better understand how each of those utilize oxygen and, and what that looks like. The only other really big process change would have been how, you know, late we're aerating. You know, we found we had to kind of keep that higher rate for our for our London strain, uh, that higher oxygenation rate for our London strain to remain happy. Um, But in order to kind of account for uh, flavor issues, it was just, you know, making sure that it's just the first couple turns and our, our splits are, can be kind of wonkier depending on the timing of a production facility. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we're moving from one tank, three turns, moving to another tank for a couple turns, going back to that tank and letting, uh, the yeast kind of, uh, replicate in there before we finish knocking out. So kind of timing those splits better, um, is something that, uh, that came out of this experiment as well and making sure that, um, you know, we're not leaving too much time and that we're not aerating those uh, later turns because that kind of led to these kind of wonky off flavors that we weren't uh, really happy with. So the, really the timing of the oxygen, the timing of the splits, um, I think is just as crucial as the amount that you're pumping in there. That was Derek Dawson here on the Master Brewers podcast. If you'd like to see the data and calculations from the wort aeration trials Derek did at Modern Times, look out for the 2018 Brewing Summit proceedings, which go on sale soon at mbaa.com slash store. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Brew Ninja, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support. Yeah.